All right, for the next little bit, I want to talk to you guys about the will of God. The will of God. Romans 12, 12 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think all of us want to walk in the will of God. But the will of God is not some elusive thing that you cannot attain. It's not something external to yourself. But there are many things that we need to understand about the will of God in Scripture. And this is where I'm going to hit the bulk of the Bible. So we're just going to go through this uh, verse by verse quickly. It makes us joint heirs with Jesus, according to Mark 3.35. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. It can be joyful and refresh, refreshing the will of God, according to Romans 15.32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, with joy, and may with you be refreshed. It can mean sacrifice, according to Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil war, world according to the will of God and our Father. It can mean abstaining from fornication. Well, it does mean that. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God. I mean, how much plainer can you get? This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything we give thanks, for this is the will of God. It's the will of God for you to be thankful. Um, doing the will of God is not a formula to receive a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, Hebrews 10.36. But it is for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. It means doing well in 1 Peter 2.15. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's the will of God. Uh, it may mean suffering according to 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. The will of God means that we'll abide forever according to 1 John 2.17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So based on just those scriptures, and this is, that's just a drop in the bucket of how many you'll find, but the will of God is less about what direction you go and more about how you live. There are times in life when we're trying to choose, right, which way to take, meaning we're seeking God for the path um, to choose. Understanding that neither path is ungodly. If that's your choice, if your choice is a path of do something godly or do something ungodly, it's a no-brainer, right? But if your paths are two godly things and you're trying to make a, a, a choice between those, um, then that, that's what we want to say is the will of God. You're following the will of God. But honestly, the choice of the two paths is not as important as once you get on that path that you do what pleases God. That's the will of God. <clears throat> Many people come to a place in God where they're so afraid of missing the will of God that they stagnate. They just, well, I, I don't know what the will of God is, so I'm, I'm just not going to do anything. Um, 
and like, like that's only one particular set of circumstances, and you can get really tied up in that in your mind. So the will of God is not so much what direction you take, but who you are. Because if you know who you are, you will walk with God in his will. Many, uh, probably many, and I would say uh, the majority of you here are walking in the will of God because you've heard and believed um, the word of God and you're following it. You're doing his will. Some of you, though, have become uh, transfixed with this idea that there's this intangible place that when you get in the will of God, everything's going to be roses. It's, you know, your dreams are all going to come true. I've heard people say that, uh, you know, if you, if, how's that go? If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I'm sorry. Work is work. You're going to work whether you love the work or not. It's the same thing with the will of God. It's not that you're going to find this one particular place God puts you that everything is, you know, oh, now I know I'm in the will of God. No, you know you're in the will of God when you're walking with God. The will of God is a mixed bag of emotions, sacrifices, blessings, endurance, laboring, joy. Stop making it some kind of inaccessible, intangible idea that if only you could get there, you would find joy. When, we, uh, when Tim and I first felt the call to evangelize, <clears throat> we had three kids. We had two girls and a boy. Uh, Morgan was eight. Megan was six, and Jordan was three. And we sought counsel. We, you know, we asked all our elders. We prayed about it. We listened to all of our voices in our life. And they just couldn't see how it would possibly be a good idea to travel with three kids. Traveling's hard, right? But with three kids. But then God did something unexpected, as God often does. And I found out I was expecting our fourth. <laughs> Little Judy Woody. <laughs> so long story short, we decided before God gave us any more unexpected blessings that we would evangelize. <clears throat> we sold everything we owned except for a few sentimental items, and we packed our four-door car with four children and set off down the path of the will of God, the will of God. So we, we started, like, Tim had been evangelizing some before that, but... This was January of 1999, so Judah was like four months old. In April of that same year, so just four months after we had started evangelizing, we got a call that my dad was passing away. And I'm, if I've shared my testimony here with you guys, I apologize, but I'm going to do it again because <laughs> it's my testimony, and this is how I overcome. <clears throat> he had been... Uh, my dad had been sick for a, a long time with a brain disorder called PSP. Um, he knew from the beginning that the prognosis was death. He knew eventually he would not be able to swallow. And that, so he made decisions then at the very beginning that, you know, no life support, no feeding tube. You know, he made all those tough decisions for us so that when the end came, we would just be able to be with him. Um, he said, he told me, he was a Presbyterian minister, and he told me uh, that if suffering makes him more like Christ, then that's what he wanted. And he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He told me that all the time. So we were traveling in Wisconsin at the time that we got the call that my dad was, you know, I needed to come see him. And um, 
we had to get everything ready. We were in, I want to say we were in Appleton. I think we were in Appleton. And uh, it's a 14-hour drive from there down to Quitman, Georgia, where my dad was down close to Moultrie. Um, it's a 14-hour drive. So we spent the day tying up all the loose ends, you know, canceling whoever we were scheduled to be with next, washing all the kids' clothes, packing up. And it was after midnight, and I jumped in the shower so that I could get dressed. We were going to leave in the middle of the night so that we could get there. And when I did, I heard the phone ring when I was in the shower, and I thought, oh, man, I missed my opportunity to say goodbye to my dad. I mean, why else would we get a call? This was before cell phones. I know you can't believe that. <laughs> to our hotel room, you know, in the middle of the night, except that it was my dad. So when I got out of the shower, my husband told me quickly that it wasn't dad. I was relief. But then he told me that my oldest brother, uh, Dick, was driving down to Quitman from his home in Decatur during the night because his baby didn't sleep well. And sometime during that four-hour drive, he fell asleep and ran under the back of a semi and was instantly killed. I was devastated, and for my dad lived another 11 days. We stayed with him the whole time, and then we had double funerals. <clears throat> I would love to tell you that I understood that. I would love to tell you that it was evident to me that God's hand was with me. It was not. I was not okay, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that it took me two years before I could say to the Lord, I love you. We never stopped preaching. We never stopped evangelizing. I never stopped praying. I never stopped praising or worshiping. But I was confused. And I was broken inside. We were smack dab in the middle of the will of God. In the middle of our calling. We hadn't missed it. We hadn't chosen the wrong path. We were there, pain and all, hurt and confusion, did not negate the fact that we were walking in the call or the will of God. I learned that the will of God was not the decision we had made to evangelize but, or the call to pursue ministry, but the will of God was how I walked through that hurt. It was how I transformed my thinking, how I was transformed in my surrender and decisions I made and the choices that solidified who I was. Romans 12.2 tells us that the way that we prove what is the will of God, the way that we know that we're in the will of God is by being transformed. I knew I was in the will of God because God was changing me. He was, he was rearranging some of my ideas about family and about loving him above all else and about putting him in this proper place. That's the will of God. That's how you know. That's how you can be sure because it's good and it's beneficial and it's a mature walk, a mature understanding of God. So in the scripture, in order to be transformed, we first have to make sure we're not being conformed to this world. Conformity has become an aggressive adversary to the church. In the social media world, the pressure to conform is strong. There's some agendas that become so aggressive and so demanding that if you post about it, you get bashed. If you fail to post about it, you get bashed. It, you just, there's, it's no win. So no matter what stance, it's not received unless we completely conform to that pressure. 
So I want to uh, talk about conformity just for a few minutes. We're either conforming to this world or we're conforming to the image of Christ. The word conformed is only used twice in the New Testament. Once in our text, Romans 12, 12, and once earlier in Romans in chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, talking about the church, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're either being the, the two times conformed, conformed to the world or conformed to the image of his son. And actually, those two times that it used, they're actually two different Greek words. You know, you guys know I love all this <laughs> deep, like getting into what the words mean. I get that from my dad, I think. But two, so two Greek words. Um, the root of both of those words are the same. So they, they're, they're similar words. One means a union. But the distinction comes when you start talking about what you conform to. Because conforming to Christ, that definition brings with it a transformation. A metamorphosis. Like you actually change. And conforming to the world only brings with it a sense of, of fitting in. You look, you, you know, you look like you fit in. Um, but there's no substance there. There's no substance there. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it used to be a thing. Uh, everybody had fake fruit on their table, right? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or am I wait? Or is that you know another generation? Fake fruit, right? It just it looks real. You got to pick it up. You think it's a real apple, but it it has no substance. It's just conformed. That piece of plastic or or clay or whatever they've used have have has been molded into this shape to look like the real thing, but it's not. That's the difference between these two. We weren't created to fit into the world's systems. God made you in his image to be everything he can give so that when, when you conform to the world and its standards, you're selling yourself so far short of what you could be. You're losing the value of who God created you to be. Um, I'm a first-generation apostolic, and I like to tell people I was raised by hippies. <laughs> and there's a lot of truth to that, more truth than, than I probably care to know. But the hippie generation was a bunch of people determined to be nonconformist, right? They were, they were called dissenters, protesters, rebels, renegades, Free thinkers, eccentric, freaks, oddballs, weirdos, kooks, wackadoodles. When you choose to be a nonconformist, make no mistake, you're not just nonconforming to one thing, but you're also choosing to conform to something else. The hippies were not conforming to all the ideologies of past generations, but they were creating a new set of standards that you had to conform to to be a hippie. Um, in today's standards, we're the nonconformists. It feels like, anyway, to me, that's what it feels like. We're the renegades and the misfits and the oddballs and the wackadoodles because we're not conforming to all the things that the world says we should. Thank God. Thank God. It's all about knowing who you are and whose you are. Because you're going to conform to one set of standards or the other. I think it's so interesting that when Romans tells us to not be conformed, that it goes on to say, but, and that conjoins the two things. Don't be conformed, but be ye transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. It's not enough to just not conform. It's not enough to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. If you think that just fitting into a church culture is your ticket to heaven, man, don't let that be it. You can have a form of godliness and deny the very power that changes you. Being transformed causes you to reconcile things in yourself. You have to get in your prayer closet and come face to face with yourself, with your past, with your trauma, and settle some things. Being transformed is holy and completely personal. It's private. It's between you and God. Sometimes I think that we think that conforming and transforming are the same. Because there's pressure, even among the church, to conform, to be like someone else. Uh, We see people, elders, people that God's put into our lives, and we say, wow, I want to be just like so-and-so. And And we set ourselves up for disappointment. Sometimes we even self-sabotage because we decide, oh, I can't be like Candy Walden. Oh, I can't be like you know, Tim Green, I can't be like Ed Walden. So we then we're just so then we just say back up and we're like, okay, I can't be them. So I'll just, you know, just do nothing. Instead of letting God figure out for you who you are, we just beat ourselves up because we don't measure up. I want right now for you to turn to the person beside you and release them. Say, you don't have to be like me. I don't have to be like you. You don't want me to be Tim. You don't want me to be a female Tim Green. How that's kind of weird, right? That be that's strange. You don't want to be like the person beside you. You want to be who God's created you to be. That's why He created you so you could be your own self. Amen. Amen. And if you do see traits in other people, that's fine. You can aspire to be like other people. Um, But if it's something you really admire, something that they really excel at, I can almost guarantee you there was a price to pay for them to become who they were. So you have to be willing to uh, pay the price. Uh, Shelly Kuhn, do you all know Shelly Kuhn? Pastor's wife in Swanee, Georgia. She has a social media called The Goodness Margin. Um. I cannot tell you how many people I've met that admire her, but immediately say, oh, I can't be like her. God's not calling you to be like her. Uh, Because if you say, uh, I can't be like her, you immediately disqualify all the benefits that she can be for you, if that makes sense. If you say, if you dismiss her and you don't even look at her, now I'm not saying you need to look at her post. I'm just using this as an example, okay? Okay. If you disqualify someone that, that has beneficial things that they're trying to give because you can't be them, then you've missed out on all the things that they could help you with. Now, I'm not going to be Shelly Kuhn, I, I, uh, you know, but I love uh, watching what she does, gleaning from it, trying to declutter myself. All of us need to declutter, not just our houses, but our minds, our spirits, And when you do it physically, it helps you mentally. So I just want to use that example because that's someone I'm close to, someone I know that a lot of people um, dismiss just immediately as if they 
you know, can't offer anything because they're not going to be just like them. The desire to conform is strong, and I think God intended it that way. But when we conform to the image of his son, that's, that's what we want to conform to. It brings transformation. It brings transformation. It's not something we say just with our words that helps us fit in. It's not how we dress. It's not how we fix our hair. It's who we are. And I want to just say this to, to you, Rack, because of your, uh, what, what, I can't. Uh, your overall age, your median age is young. Like, you know what I'm saying? you got so many young people here. And I have found in the last few years that there is this disconnect in a lot of, in a lot of young people's minds about ministry. They feel like it's this thing you move into and now you have, now you have position so you have ministry. Ministry is not disconnected from who you are. It is, that is ministry. Who you are is ministry. How you act, how you uh, act on the word of God, how you treat people. All of that is ministry. The position is just a place to use that ministry, you know, in a, in a, in a more broad way. But you have to be ministry because what happens is if you have this idea of what ministry is, when you get to that place, if you get to that place and you thought it was this one thing and then it turns out to be something else, you're confused. You, th- you feel like a fake. You feel like uh, something's wrong with me. This is not what I thought it was. And it can really spin you off into a lot of um, unpleasant things. So just know that when you're transformed, it's, it's on the inside. It's who you are. And that is ministry, and then that develops into greater ministry. In Acts 12, Peter, there's, there's a scripture that said that Peter is delivered from the expectation of the people. I love that phrase. That people expected Peter to die. That was the expectation of the people. But God delivered Peter from that expectation with his miraculous power. The expectation of people can cause us to act in ways that may or may not reflect who we really are. But when I deal with my stuff, when I deal with, with who I am, I am freed from the expectation of the people. Because I've settled some things. I know who I am. I no longer have to conform to what this person thinks or that person thinks because I know that the will of God dis- informs all of my decisions. I'm sure that there's times when I, or that my actions or lack thereof has disappointed people. I know that I'm not always what people expect, but I'm okay with that because I know who I am. So I'm delivered from the expectation of the people. If God wants my behavior to change, he knows how to get my attention. Trust me, he definitely knows and he has and and. If I, if I continue to transform, that's what happens. It happens first in the mind. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renewing means restoration. That's who you are, Rack. That's who you are. This is what we're, this, this church, we're transforming. We're renewing our mind. We're, we're becoming more like Jesus. 
And I think it's so cool because, uh, yes, we've all been born again. We have a new life in Christ, but even new things become old and have need of restoration. I have need of restoration all the time. Um, My husband and I are slow house flippers. So we move into a house and we, we live there. Uh, this one we're in right now, we've been there five years, and we're almost done. So I'm excited. Um, but when you purchase a house that's like we do, sometimes it's been had a fire or it just needs completely overhauled and updated, um, we live in it and do the renovations. So I know this isn't for everyone, okay? I get that. <laughs> but there's a price to pay when you're living in a place that needs restoring. Um, you have to be okay with living in a house that's under construction, that has sheetrock dust, that um, sometimes you have to wash your dishes in the bathtub because the sink's being repaired, or, you know, you have to uh, fix holes in the roof, or you sleep under an exposed roof. It, all the things that come with renovation, you have to be okay with living with that mess And I know it's not for everyone, but if you can take that over into where your mind is, it's the same way. When you have a mess in your mind, when things are under construction, when things are being renovated in your mind, it can feel like, ugh, you know, when's the sheetrock dust going to quit piling up on everything? When's when's the roof going to get, when am I going to get my mind right Family struggles, generational curses, bad choices, trauma, bad advice. The list goes on and on. But in order to walk in the will of God, you have to renovate or restore your mind. And it's going to be a mess sometimes, and that's okay. That's okay. Just keep going with the process. It's okay, the process of renovating. Renovation. If people had pulled back the curtain, if you had been able to look into my mind many times, but for sure in the testimony that I gave you, those two years where I was struggling so much, wow, what a mess that would have looked like to everyone. But that's not how God does things. That's not how God does things. He protects us. He, he, he keeps us. He lets us work it out in our prayer closets because he rewards when you pray in secret. He rewards you openly. So that's how you do it. You get in your prayer closet. You work on those things. And I was a mess. My mind was a mess. But God kept working with me. We kept fixing one little thing at a time. One little thing at a time until I had a transformation or a restoration. So once you, once you do that, and then it's, it's an ongoing thing. It doesn't stop. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fixed now. No, Down the road, a different thing might, you know, manifest, and you have to work on that. But once you start dealing with your stuff, you're changed. You're not just now non-conforming. You're not just now, you know, going through motions, but you are changed. Um, You're like new again. That's what that restoration means. It's, It's like you're brand new again. And when you get to that place, you can walk in confidence because you're walking in the will of God. You're walking in the will of God. So in Romans 12, 1, just before he tells us to be not conformed and to be transformed, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
So before you can be transformed, you first have to present yourself. This is your opportunity. When, uh, if, if you don't have a prayer life and you're here today, this is a good place. This is a good, safe place to present yourself. If you do have a prayer life, you can, every time you go to prayer, you present yourself. It's not, again, it's not this one-time thing that you do and, and all your cares are washed away. It's a continual thing. Um, so present yourself. Present your bodies. That Greek word bodies is more than just your, your fingers and toes, but it's your whole self. You present God all of you. All of you. All the parts that are struggling. All the parts that are confused. All the parts that are have no way, no idea what's going on. All the confusion. You present all of that to God. Because that's what he asks you to do, right? We, he gets to be God. He gets to choose how we do this. And this is how he chooses how we do this. Is we present ourselves. Um, not going through rituals, not going through just reciting words, but being in the moment with him. Um, it's a sacrifice to present yourself holy because you don't, uh, you don't get to choose what makes you feel good. You have to lay down your own thoughts, your own desires, your own ideas of how it should be. And as you present yourself, you have to consciously choose to be conformed not to the world, but to the image of Jesus. You must decide that God gets to decide how you should behave. That is so fundamental to your walk with God. If you don't think that God gets to choose your behavior, somewhere along the line, you're going to be like, well, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think, you know, that, that that's something I want to do. God gets to choose. And when, when Moses said, show me your glory, God said, I'll show you my glory, but I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom. Basically, he's saying, you want to see my glory? My glory is to acknowledge that I get to be in charge, that I am God, and I choose how I treat people. I choose how you treat me. I choose all the things. So we have to settle that first, that God gets to be God. Um, and that's where the renovation really begins, because he'll tear down some stuff. In our minds, our hearts, our lives, he'll build up some stuff. And that's just the process of restoration. That's the process of renovation. This proves the will of God, not the path we follow. Not the choices you've made. But once you've made the choices, how you live in that moment, how you act, how you, how you let God work on you, how you treat others, how you treat God, all of those things, that's the will of God. So I, it's a little early, Pastor, but I just want to pray. Is that all right? All right. If ever, I just if y'all will stand, I just want us to spend just a few minutes in prayer. I'm going to pray for you, and uh, you know whatever you feel to pray, please join with me. But it's so important for us to get this right. It's because it's the will of God that's making us abide forever, live forever. That's what's going to get us to the place where we need to be with God. Father, I ask you today to open our understanding to this word. Help us to see what this means to not conform 
to the world, but to conform to the image of God. Help us to see that, that we're not going to ever be satisfied when we're just doing it the way someone thinks we should. When we're just going through motions, trying to fit in with one group or another. But let us know, Father, what it means like to be conformed to you. To what it, what it feels like to know that we are transformed. That what we're conforming to, we actually become. That, that our ministry, God, is, is born out of you. That it's not born out of, out of just going through motions or following a program or following an organization. But it's who we are. It's that thing that determines every decision we make. It's how we pray. It's how we treat people. It's how we live for you. That's the will of God. I want to stand before you, God, today in your perfect will. I want it to be proved that I have served you, that I've been transformed, that you've changed me. God, that you've taught me things about myself. <laughs> that you've changed me to be more like you. God, that the things you've brought me through in life is not because I missed your will, but because I was walking in your will and you taught me how to serve you in those moments and how to become more like you in those moments and how to, to design my thoughts and my life and my prayer so that it submits to your word submits to your leadership, submits to however you choose to do it, God, I'm okay with. Whatever you choose, I'm okay with, God, because you are everything. You are everything, Father. I pray for all the people that are in this place today. I thank you for every path of life that they've walked down because it's not in vain. It's not in vain. You are teaching them. You are leading them. You are bringing them into an understanding that they can walk in your will. That walking in your will is saying, not what I want, God, but what you want. Not my will, but your will. God, I pray that each one that's facing a decision today, God, doesn't let their decision be based on anything else but the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit. And when they walk through troubled times, let them see it's not for their harm, it's not for their destruction, but it's for their good. You're renovating some things in their life, in their space, in their mind. And you will, re you will receive all the glory for that.